Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Collective Podcast. Excited to be back. Week 10 musings on college football, college fantasy football. Got a couple interesting topics to dump in on the episode side. So catch you on the flip side. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Don't get you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. What a weekend. College football never ceases to amaze and entertain us. So let's start it off. What did we learn this weekend? List of true contenders to stabilize. We didn't see any unblemished squads lose, with the exception, by the way, of Air Force following thanks to poor uh, turnovers. But let's be honest, they were not in the title kind of championship realm, if you will. We saw two one-loss teams really step ahead, or step up, I should say. They're trending in the right direction. University of Oregon, Ducks, and the University of Alabama. Both of those schools impressed. Oregon scored 63 points in a conference game versus Cal. Uh, you say what you want about Cal, but that's a lot of points. And just actually start off the game, they were down at a brief point early on and, and just trampled them. And Alabama beat at home. A tough rival in LSU. That game has produced, by the way, I think four of the, the winning team in that game has produced four national titles champions in the last 10 years. You can you can look that up on uh, for me. It's the last 14 years, but still, really impressive game and impressive win by Alabama. So both these teams are definitely in the mix, without a doubt. There's a few other one-loss teams that are there, but um, you can cross off Oklahoma. They got two losses. And you can certainly cross off USC, which now has three losses. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. Who looked best and who's, who's in the mix? Look, I, it's hard to say. All the unbeatens won. Washington, I thought, they scored 52 on the road at USC. But they also gave up 42. They were playing the dynamic quarterback in Caleb Williams. But voters won't love that. So I suspect they'll stay fifth in the, the BCS rankings or whatever they're called these days. And I don't think any of the top five are really going to change. Maybe one team moves a different. Maybe Georgia steps up, but I tend to doubt it. I tend to think that it probably it would have been. So that's that, which brings me to two topics that are top of mind. Okay, first one, and I don't want to be controversial here, but let's be honest with what this is: Is Lincoln Riley a good head coach? Seriously, he had a dynamic offenses at Oklahoma. He produced two number one overall picks in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. And arguably his best quarterback wasn't either of those. It was Jalen Hurts. But consistently putting up monumental numbers, won a ton of games. He certainly knows how to recruit offensive talent, right? He's got those quarterbacks. He was able to get all three of them, by the way, transferred in. Pre-portal, he was doing a great job of getting transfers in, in both Baker Mayfield, who played behind that was in battling Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. Kyler Murray came over from Texas A&M, and then Jalen Hurts, who got pushed out by Tua of Alabama. And then he got Caleb Williams to come into Oklahoma and then travel with him to USC. So it's, it, without a doubt, great stuff. But since he's been in LA, which granted is one and two thirds of a season, let's call it, there's been a lot of hype. And I would say the actual results have been so-so. SC had an exciting offensive season last year, which culminated in Caleb Williams obviously winning the Heisman. But they failed in the games that mattered, obviously to our Pac-12 uh, title game. And now this year, he's staring down four losses, possibly five. So let me document it. There are three losses right now. And they've lost in two games they should not have lost to Arizona and to Utah. They have 
but they're traveling to Autzen to play the Ducks next week, and the Ducks look really good. So that that could very well be their fourth loss. And they still have rivalry game versus a good UCLA team, and presumably it's USC. So they're going to end up going to a better bowl game than they probably deserve to go to because their team travels, they do well on TV, they've got Caleb Williams and so on. You could be looking at a four, five loss team this year. Now that's a lot of losses for what the USC booster investment has been with Riley. Good offensive coach, but the ROI looks bad and the, and the investment just looks like it's turning in the wrong direction. It's just my personal call. I think Lincoln Riley is an outstanding offensive coach. That's very clear, but he's not a good head coach so far in the sense that he's not winning games that matter. He's not winning the big games that everybody's focused and paying attention on. Okay. The next one is the controversy with sign stealing University of Michigan. Does this really matter? Seriously. We know that New England Patriots did this stuff and likely helped them win a Super Bowl or two. We also hear a ton of teams uh, do this type of stuff. Now, I realize the degree of Michigan's alleged stealing is against not just the spirit of competition, but also the formal Big Ten rules, which is, by the way, the formal rule is you cannot tape opposing teams' sideline. You can't have coaches go to future opponents to scout them. There's some formal rules against this. So I get the anger, and there certainly needs to be punishment. I don't doubt that at all. But would these schools be angry and call for vengeance so rapidly and boisterously if this was University of Iowa? Hell no. It's 100% jealousy because Michigan has absolutely kicked the ass of all Big Ten teams the last two years. So it's called a spade. Does Michigan deserve a penalty? Yes. Does it need to be severe? I don't think so. And it certainly needs to be done appropriately. And I'm not a Michigan fan here. I care less. But I think it's hilarious, the hypocrisy and all this. Okay. Let's talk last week of college fantasy football waiver wire stuff. I'm going to transition as we get into November. I'll still, we'll still do a college football segment each week, but I'm going to start transitioning to the NBA, which by the way, has been awesome. It's been great to have it back. The excitement, the dynamic of the league, the scoring's way up. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's been awesome to watch. I'm excited to have it back. So I'm excited to, to dive into that. Hopefully I do some stuff this week. And certainly, we'll, as we get in post-Thanksgiving and we get into the college football kind of playoff and whatnot, where there's a lot less games being played, a lot less content we talked about, I'm going to go deep on, on NBA. So for the last week, I'll do college fantasy football waivers. I'm going to stop doing this. Most leagues are getting into their weekly playoff. At this point, your roster is your roster. If you've got a dire injury, look for the backup on that team or go on your waiver wire. So I won't be calling these out. And quite frankly... I realize the effort I've been putting in this year probably has gone for naught because most of these guys I'm calling out and guys I called out early in the year exploded. Most of you were not picking them up. So you're going to hear a lot of the same names here. I still encourage you picking them up. So top college fantasy football for Asian targets going into week 11. Okay, two quarterbacks. They were on my list last week. They flipped spots because the first one, Florida quarterback, Graham Mertz, the Wisconsin starter. He's consistently playing well. He's now up to the 22nd overall fantasy or 21st overall fantasy quarterback. Highly recommend him if you need a quarterback spot starter. He seems to be training in the right direction. He's healthy. And Florida's got some dynamic athletes. I've got another Florida player on this list at the tight end spot who was on the list last week as well. So I'll call him out. Second quarterback is Lute Atmeyer, Illinois. Still only 12% owned. He's not been as strong over as Mertz the last couple of weeks, but still very much worthy of being on your roster if you're looking for somebody to fill a spot in a super flex league. So that's that. Running back, 
Phil Malfo. Malfo? I don't even know how to pronounce him. I've got this guy on my team. He's running back at a Clemson. He's a do-everything, change-of-pace guy. But Will Shipley, the guy everyone's hyped about, got hurt. Malfo came in and had a career game. Led the, had the biggest game of the year for Clemson. 186 yards, two TDs, had a big play to win the game in Notre Dame. If Shipley continues to miss time, Malfo is a must-add and must-start because he's a, probably a top 15, top 20 back, maybe even better than that. He's a dynamic guy, can catch. He's not explosive, like in a traditional explosive way, but he gets the tough yards between the tackles. He's got enough explosiveness to break big games. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up getting more of the touches going forward anyways, regardless, because Shipley just wasn't getting it done, and Malfo's is more consistent. Next is Kyle Robichaw, BC. He was on this list last week. Still a plotter, still decent. Highly recommend him. Not he's more again. He's a more of a low floor or yeah high floor low ceiling guy. Next is a, a new name that has been on this list. This guy's uh, at least at fan tracks. He's eligible at both running back and wide receiver. His name is Jamal Haynes, Georgia Tech. He's owned in twenty three percent of the leagues. He's averaging thirteen points per game. Definitely look at this guy. He's putting up numbers. He's got nearly seven hundred fifty total yards, six TDs, and he'll finish the year as a top fifty overall running back, wide receiver, tight end, flex option. So go up, go look at that. And then receiver, I've got only one receiver because Haynes is a receiver as well. That same guy from last week. You got Daniel Jackson. He's 13% owned, 13 point points per game. He's still very good. Had another, he only had 60 yards this, this week on three catches, but he TD. So go look for him. He's clearly the number one guy. High ceiling at this point. Not going to be a star necessarily, but Minnesota's starting to open up the offense, which is great. And then last, I teased this one earlier. A tight end, Florida, only 26% owned, Arliss Boardingham. Boardingham's an athletic freak, former four-star from two years ago, a redshirt last year, so he's a redshirt freshman. He's being increasingly used in different ways and in, in different formations. And he has that, he has the potential. He's like this dominant positionless type player. So think H-back, wide receiver, tight end, weapons. Highly recommend him. Okay, on that note, I hope everyone has an amazing week and enjoys football ahead. We're getting into the big rivalry games. Games matter. This is it. This is it. Come on. And if you're playing college fantasy, you know you're rolling into your playoffs. Get your lineups out there. Look for anomalies. Look for guys that are healthy. Look for those teams that look like they're going to stomp on them versus the teams that are trending the wrong direction. So you want the, the Ducks, the, the Alabama players. Uh, Georgia looks like they're turning in the right direction. Michigan's still stomping people. Ohio State's actually been looking better recently. So look at those teams that are turning out. Maybe even Clemson could turn things around and get hot on the stretch. On that note, have an awesome day, uh, great week, and let's go. Bye-bye. Before we leave, let me tell you a little something. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. I said up.